So would you open with me to 1 Thessalonians? We're going to continue on in that. And as we've been going through 1 Thessalonians, it's Paul writing a letter to this little church in this town of Thessalonica, this brand new church that he was with for a little bit. And then there's all this persecution that shoved Paul and um, Silas out of there. And now they've been traveled on and they're, they're anxious to hear and they're, they're connecting with this young little church um, back there. And Paul's been speaking to them, and this passage is so powerful, especially this first verse I love. So we're going to spend a a bit of time here in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says this, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers." I love this so much. So think about this to put in perspective. Here's Paul. And Paul was like, you read the book of Acts and Paul did insane things. Okay. Paul was like healing sick people. And he was like enduring intense persecution. And he was like traveling over. I mean, the man was through like, I think, what was it? Like three shipwrecks or something like just crazy. Like who does these kinds of things in the name of the Lord? So Paul is like big mover, big, big shaker, big dreams, big passions, right? And Paul is saying, I can't stop thanking God for this, okay? So there's a thing where Paul, who's seen all these miraculous things, when Paul's like, this is the thing that I cannot stop thanking God for, you wonder like, what? What is it that could be so exciting that Paul's like, I'm constantly falling on my knees because of this? And that's what he says. What is it? What is it that puts Paul down onto his knees? He says, this is what I thank God for constantly, that when I came, I spoke to you the word of God, and you guys were all there, and you heard it, not as my words, not as the words of a human being, but you heard it as the word of God. And he's saying, because of that, because I spoke God's word to you, and you heard it as God's word, he's like, I'm constantly just on my knees just saying, God, thank you so much that you're doing that in the life of these people. I think that's so beautiful because it puts all the attention, puts all the focus on where the power actually is, which is not on the words that I speak. It's not on the words of anyone that's around you. No no words from anyone you've ever heard. It puts this and it says, the power is all about this. The words that God speaks, those are the words that matter. And they're the only words that matter, right? We live in a world like full of words all the time, okay? And I think that's probably always been true. Oral cultures used a lot of words. Print cultures used a lot of words. Whatever, like, Twitter generation we are now, we use a whole lot of words. And we hear them from all kinds of sources, on TV, on our social media, on the phone, uh, conversations we overhear, conversations we have with each other, books that we read, stuff our parents tell us, stuff our kids say to us. All these words are flying around all of the time. And here you are again in a setting where just a whole bunch of words are being thrown at you. And I want to just say with Paul, the only words that will matter this morning— at all, in any sense whatsoever. The only words that will matter are the words that God speaks. Like those are the words that have power and those are the words that matter. Paul's been talking in the previous context about how um, he describes his ministry to them. And he says, look, when I came, I wasn't trying to sell you anything. I wasn't trying to convince you of anything. I wasn't trying to persuade you. I just came. He says, basically, I came like a nursing mother, okay? And he says, I was gentle among you, just like a nursing mother. And, and you think of a nursing mother, and all she does is just look at that brand new baby that's, that's right there and just says, okay, I'm going to give you everything, Right? I'm going to give you all of the time that I have, right? My, my calendar is clear. I have a baby. I'm giving my 
myself to you. I'll give you my whole body, right? I'll give you all my like friendships and relationships. Like I am like this baby now is my priority. I'm just giving myself to you. There's no agenda. There's no um, trying to convince the baby. Like it's just, I'm here for you, right? And Paul's saying, when we were with you, that was it. We took the word of God and we just said, how can I take this word and just be like a nursing mom, just giving ourselves to you with this word so that you can grow and you can flourish and you can you know, grow up into what God's calling you to be. Then he goes on in the passage that Pastor Nathan looked at a couple weeks ago and talked about how he's like, we were like persistent fathers with you, right? We just kept kind of getting in there and nudging you and pushing you forward and just saying like a father with his child. We're just saying like, let's keep going. Let's keep growing. Let's get, let's get up. Let's keep moving. And so he's saying, basically, we've been like this family to you. And the whole point of it is we're just trying to get you into the word of God. We're just trying to get you to hear the word of God and to receive it as the word of God. And I think, unfortunately, we've had this um, movement. It feels like it's happened in my lifetime, although I, I recognize that I've been becoming aware of things uh, more recently than, than some of you guys have. Um, but it feels like it's happened in my lifetime, and it feels like it's even happened in the last handful of years where um, churches become about, we expect churches to be something about, like, what does the pastor think? How does the pastor behave? Or how does, like, the, how does the worship service feel? And so it's like, it's like we're here because of what, how a certain group of people sort of shape the thing, right? And, and, and there, there's some sense in which, like, that's what it's about. And I just, I just want us to say, like, step back and be reminded, like, that's not what it's about, right? It can't ever be about that. Like, so for those of you that are, like, new, checking things out with high hopes, right, let me just promise you, like, um, I don't know anything. Like, I really don't. In my opinion, I've got plenty of opinions, but they're all stupid, okay? And, um, and so the only things that you can and should hold on to and listen to are the things that we read out of this book together. Because these are God's words, and he's speaking to us, right? And the ways that we encourage each other in light of these words that are spoken, that stuff is what actually matters. That's what we're to be listening to. So that forms like a, a foundation for us. Or um, I've used the example before of it's like, it's like seeds, okay? And what I want is for us to be the kind of community where we're just coming together and it's just like we're reaching into this and we're pulling up a bunch of seeds and we're just like shoving them down into our own hearts and just saying grow like take these seeds these words let them grow in our lives and and I want us to be the kind of community where we're just like grabbing these seeds and we're just throwing them at each other right just all the time just trying to let these words grow in us let these words be the things that shape us we don't need to listen to what a pastor thinks what anybody else thinks all we want is to hear what God speaks when I was in seminary, and a few of you have had this experience too, when I was in seminary, um, there's always that student in class that would uh, raise their hand. Okay, so you have this like world-class like scholar lecturing about whatever you're studying at the time, okay? This person has done their homework. They know what they're talking about. Then there's some ding-dong who's like the same knowledge level as me taking the class, and that person will raise their hand, and they will give a sermon disguised as a question, okay? Some of you guys might have experienced that in other worlds too, but, you know, stuff like, you know, Professor, I've, I've often thought that uh, a lot of people misunderstand uh, the Davidic covenant as it pertains to the new covenant, um, and when we come into, like, the millennium and some of the nuances and implications of that, could you speak to that a little bit? And it's like they're trying to show everybody what they think, and they're giving this really long thing, and they put a question mark at the end, like, Everyone in that setting is sitting there like, dude, quiet your mouth. We don't care what you have to say. We're here to, hear, we're here to listen to this person who is the expert, right? Similarly, okay? I feel like we're here. And it's just like, you know, I'll, I'll say what I say. You know, I'll do my best to say what I say. But nobody wants, we don't want to be part of churches or groups or friendships or whatever where it's just all about me and what I think. Let me explain the world to you. No, no, I will share 
every opinion I have with you guys in the right context, and I want you to disregard all of them, right? It's all about what does God say? These are the words that stick, and they become for us sort of a foundation. I think Paul's saying, look, don't, don't listen to me. Like, I came and I spoke these words, but you recognized in them the actual words of God and not just of a human being. And I think we need to do that across the board. I mean, I mean some, we've been talking about like that, that mother and father thing that Paul's talking about. We're like nursing mothers. We're like persistent fathers. And I'm just very aware of the fact that, that many, many of you came from a situation where your mother or your father is um, speaking into your life in a way that is harmful, right? That is painful, right? There's broken, right? A lot of us came from pretty messed up families. And so to talk like this, I'm, I'm just recognizing there's so many words that have been spoken into our lives that are breaking us down, um, that are leading us in the wrong directions and that need to be undone. And so it's, it's kind of a matter of saying, stepping back and saying, okay, ultimately, at the end of the day, God, God is the perfect picture of a father, right? God's even the perfect picture of a mother. And, and he's calling us to kind of play that role in each other's lives, I think, in what we saw earlier in 1 Thessalonians 2, playing that role, but always in the sense of pointing each other to who God is and what God says. Like, that is the foundation he gives. And that foundation is really important because, basically, um, what he goes on to say is this, the very end of there. He says, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what, is, what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers, okay? So in you believers. So if you've, if you've like had this encounter with Jesus where you're kind of recognizing, okay, Jesus says that he laid down his life for me, that God loves me and Jesus came and in him I have all this forgiveness of sins. I have this removal of my guilt. I have this restoration in my relationship with God because of who Jesus is. If I believe in that, he's saying what happens then is that the word of God comes and it actually is at work in you. Like it's a present tense kind of ongoing concept that he's giving us. The word of God to those of us who believe is at work, okay? And this is kind of negative, but I picture it like when you have like a rock in your shoe, okay? And you're too lazy to like pull it out. Or maybe you've got the shoe with a whole bunch of laces and you just can't get down there, right? But you're walking and every single step, man, that, that rock in your shoe is just doing something to you, right? It's this persistent reminder that's always there. And I think that's in a more positive sense, how the word of God is with us. Although sometimes it does feel painful like that, doesn't it? It sinks down in and it's there and it's in the back of our minds and it's constantly reminding us, constantly speaking to us, constantly shaping us. And, and I think what it's actually doing is it's like that seed that goes down. And in the same way, when you plant a seed in soil, the first thing that happens is the roots start to go out, but you don't see any perceptible change above the surface, right? Eventually you start to see that growth, but the first thing, the roots go down. When the word of God hits us, those of us believe he's saying it's at work in us. So I think it begins to set down roots into our lives and our thoughts begin to be reshaped according to God's thoughts and according to his perspective. And as that comes, it spreads down into our lives and it begins to come up into the world around us. We find ourselves able to forgive, right? We find ourselves able to love. We find ourselves able to let go of things that had been um, holding us back. And all these things happen as the word of God just begins to shape us. I love uh, this picture from Isaiah 55. I've referenced it so many times, but he tells us that in the same way that the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. This is God speaking through Isaiah. He says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I mean, what an amazing promise from God, right? And, and what, a, what a like... What a way to highlight how 
badly we could like lose it in this time, right? If I did anything in this time other than pointing our attention back to the word of God, it's such an epic waste because here's the one thing God's saying. Look, when I send rain, it does what it does, right? You guys, you guys remember rain, right? Um, and, uh, and it would come and, and, and the earth would be all brown and dry, right? And it would come and like the day or two afterwards, you're kind of like, well, that was fun. Everything's still brown. But then you start to see the green start to pop up and all the rest of it, right? It's God just saying, look, when I send rain, it does what it does. Okay, it does not fail. It does what it does. And he's saying in the same way, this is my word. The words that I speak, and here we have in the Bible, these are all words that God has spoken to different people at different times, and he still speaks to us through it. And so when God's words come to us, he's saying, it's going to do what I sent it to do. We may not understand it all the way, right? We may not appreciate all the ways that it's working on us, but our job is to take these things like seeds and let them hit us, see them as the word of God. Now, here's why this is so important. So he goes into verse 13. I mean, I'm thinking, God, that when you heard the word, you recognize it as the words of God, and it's at work in you, okay? Now, why? Why is that so important? It becomes a foundation for what they're going to experience, which is the reality of suffering. And this is what we see in verse 14. This gets a little, like, heavier turn here, okay? He says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So he's pointing now to this deeper reality, which is that, okay, he's saying in, in like hearing the word of God, responding to it, seeing it as the word of God, you kind of followed these other churches and these other churches in Judea were ones that um, when the word of God came, the Jewish people, we, like, we can see that when Jesus was on earth, the Jewish people rose up, joined together with Rome and they're like, no, we don't want Jesus. We're going to like, we want to crucify him and everything else. And so he's saying in the same way that all that happened and God was speaking, God was working, but there were people, religious people and, and um, you know, irreligious people that resisted what God was doing. In the same way, you're experiencing that, um, Thessalonians, from the people that are around you. That's exactly what we see what happens. In, in Acts 17, um, we see that when Paul and Silas came, they preached the word of God. They talked about the gospel, how like they're being, people are being set free in Jesus. And the, um, they went into the synagogues and the Jewish religious people at the time were saying, no, we don't want that message here. Get out of here. And they chased them to the next town and said, get out of here as well. Get further away from us. They wanted nothing to do with it. And Paul's just saying, look, um, you accepted the word of God and it began to grow in you. The problem is, the people around you, your fellow countrymen, just like happened with Jesus, didn't want anything to do with that. The problem is, um, it's, it's um, sad to have to tell you this, and I hope someone in your past has broken it to you at some point, but life is tough, okay? Suffering is actually promised on multiple occasions in the Bible, okay? Now, I wish it was otherwise. I think it would be a lot of fun to be like a health, wealth, prosperity preacher. Um, aside from the sheer amount of money that you get, you like never have to tell anybody a hard thing, you know? Hey, just pray a little harder and God's going to give you everything you want, right? But we know that's not how it works, okay? Life is tough and it really has a knack for beating us down at times. And it comes from so many different angles, right? It comes from people outside of us, right? The society itself, I think we know what it looks like to kind of be opposed by the world around us. It could be as simple as like we sit here and even in my short lifetime, I've seen how society gets um, a little bit like more and more and more antagonistic towards the, the ways that God describes human flourishing, if that makes sense. This is, this is what it looks like to be one of my children in the world and to live according to my rules and my design. And society keeps getting further and further away from that. And you begin to feel the tension and the opposition from the world around us, right? 
Um, sometimes it's like being misunderstood, right? There was a time when you could talk about Jesus and the gospel, and that was broadly like, cool, that's great. Yeah, we kind of probably believe that if we gave it much thought. But now it's like there's an opposition to it more. And there's a sense of being, I think sometimes I feel like willfully misunderstood. They don't want to understand what it is that I'm talking about when I talk about the life that I find in Jesus, right? Um, and so there's that opposition we feel um, from the world around us, right? But the crazy thing is, Paul here mentions these churches in Judea and how the Jews came against us. In Acts 17, as I said, it was the religious leaders in Thessalonica that were the ones that ran Paul out of town. And we know there is also this opposition that we get from within the religious community itself. And it's people that I think are um, often insecure, often wanting to control, often really worried about somebody seeing it differently. They come in, and there's this kind of friendly fire that we receive. And, and many of you, I've talked to so many of you that have experienced like church hurt in different ways, right? So church is this place where we're supposed to be like side by side in this vision for like beautiful human flourishing, right? And letting the word of God soak into us and reaching out, caring for each other, meeting each other's needs, reaching out to the world around us in love. Like that's a beautiful vision. But unfortunately, so often those people that we're supposed to be shoulder to shoulder with turn and attack, right? And if we're honest, we end up doing the same thing as well. And, um, and for all of you that have experienced church hurt in the past, I'm sorry, you know? It shouldn't be like that. It really shouldn't be. And, and we're trying not to be that here, right? But I can promise you, we will hurt you. I can pretty much promise you, I will hurt you, although I'd love not to do that, right? But that, it, there is this side of things where like suffering is just part of the human experience. It's part of what we encounter, it also is a key ingredient in the growth that we experience. I was talking to um, Andrew Higgins, and um, he's like super tall. I don't know what he is, 6'6 six, six or something like that. And uh, he had a period of time in like junior high or high school where he grew six inches in nine months. Can you even imagine? He played basketball. He said he was like a baby giraffe running around on the court. You know, just no, no ability to control his body, you know. But, um, but we were talking about the growing pains. Like, I, I went through it too at some point, and probably a lot of you did too, where you just like, you wake up in the night and your body just hurts. And you're like, why is my leg in so much pain? There's no wounds, right? But it's like, under the skin, your body is literally making more of itself somehow. Like, I don't get how that works. It makes sense that it's painful, right? But you just get these growing pains. But the, the reality is, I think that's so much of how it works spiritually too, right? The growth that we experience, even though we'd love to never experience the suffering, the growth that we experience so often comes through the pain that we encounter, right? It comes through the suffering. And, and in the suffering, if we can cling to that foundation that we just looked at of the word of God that speaks to us, the word of God that's at work in us, if we can cling to that as a foundation, then when we experience the suffering, it comes, yes, painful, but it comes into actual growth, right? And it makes us more and more the people that God's calling us to be. It chips away at our pride. It chips away at our need to be in control. It chips away at our desire to dominate other people or to build something for ourselves. And we begin to, through the suffering, become more and more like Jesus. Jesus who, after all, right, is the model of like what God wants for humanity. And Jesus who came into this world and suffered immensely, right? Suffered because he loved the people that were around him. 
If you, um, if we were Buddhists, like Buddhist, Buddhism has this, um, this the, the first like tenet of Buddhism is that life consists in suffering, okay? So I just say a hearty amen to that, all right? They've got that one right for sure. Life is all about suffering, right? You can't live in this world and not suffer immensely. And the solution to it is to then become detached from this world, right? Recognize that it's all just kind of an illusion. And so through kind of getting your mind in the right space, you detach yourself from the illusion of life and then you avoid suffering, Right? And the problem I've always seen with that is, one, we serve a savior that entered into suffering for us, right? And so definitely suffering can't always be avoided. But also I think we serve a God and a savior who has a mission of sending us into a world of suffering, right? We're not going to detach from it. We're going to embrace it. And just like Jesus, whose acts of love caused this intense suffering for himself, we're sent in the same way. And so we're going to experience these suffering things, but they're going to lead us to something bigger and something better. There's so much in the world around us that that just pushes us back to this need to what we saw in verse 13 about that foundation of the word of God, seeing it as what it really is, this thing that's at work in our hearts. And as uh, Matt Pates was preaching last week and he talked about Psalm 46 and such a beautiful psalm and such a great reflection, he let us in on that. And um, one of the lines in there talks about how the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. And I just love that picture of instability in the kingdoms of this world because I feel like, for me, the givens in life are things like national boundaries and governments, right? Those things seem so permanent and so in place and so unchangeable. And now we're at this historical season, which some of you have lived long enough to see multiple ones of these, where the the kingdoms are tottering, right? And the the nations aren't as set as I tend to think that they are. And, and, And the whole point of it is that, no, God is the stable source, right? And God's voice that speaks continually to his people over thousands of years, the things that God has said over thousands of years, continue to hold true as the one stable thing in this world. Our connection, our relationship to the God who is above all of it, all of the time that speaks into our hearts and calls us into something more established and something deeper. So the word of God is the thing that we need when when we experience suffering like this, okay? So the suffering that comes when we find opposition from the people around us, when we're opposed, right? The word of God comes to us, right? And it speaks and it reminds us that God is ultimately in control, right? Reminds us that he's there with us in our suffering, in our opposition. He says things like, yeah, when when you're like put on trial for your faith, I'll be there and I'll speak through you, right? And he gives us, the word of God reminds us that he gives us a family to bear that together with, right? When we find our own families broken, so um, kids that, that grow up to reject you and reject the things that you hold dear, marriages that are falling apart, um, loss of life, like loss of a loved one in your family. When we experience these broken things in our lives, the word of God speaks to us and becomes this firm foundation in the midst of that suffering that tells us things like God doesn't let a single sparrow fall to the ground without his intimate knowledge and care and concern over that, right? Everything that's happening to us, God cares deeply about, right? He's there with us in the suffering. He embraces us. He holds us. And once again, when we lose our family, whether through fracture um, or division or through death, right, he promises us that in the church we find brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the Lord to be a family together with, right? When, when our bodies fail us, right, we get, a, we get a diagnosis, a terrible diagnosis. Many of you have had this experience. Maybe you don't get any diagnosis at all, but you know that something's wrong with you. These kinds of things fall apart. The word of God becomes in a foundation of something that we can cling to that tells us that, um, again, God cares. God is the, he- the, the healer, right, in the midst of it. God is there um, sustaining and growing, and he cares for where we're at, and he heals us. So, 
in all these things, um, here's these reminders. Now, here's how Paul wraps this up. I'm going to look at the last couple of verses here, 15 and 16, and just see um, the juxtaposition. He wants us to be people that receive the word of God, that hear God's word and cling to it in the midst of suffering. And now he's going to describe the suffering, the receiving is at the hands of people that function in a different way. And And the contrast is helpful. So he says in verse 15, these people that were opposing, they said they killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. They drove us out and they displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So it was always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Now these are harder words, right? Because now he's describing a group of people that are opposing the things that God wants to do in the world. So What's great about the Thessalonians is they heard the word of God and they're like, yes, I want that. I acknowledge it as God's words and I embrace it. But he's saying on the flip side, there's these people that are coming against the Thessalonians and they're resisting the words that God speaks and the ways that he's calling people to be in the midst of the world. And as he does that, as he looks at those things, um, he calls these people, um, they're the enemy of all humanity. They oppose all humanity, right? And, and the first thought that comes to my mind when I hear that is when you're in school, okay, when you're in class, you guys have all had this experience and like, it's a good day, teacher's doing great, whatever, teacher's coming to the end of it and forgets the test, right, that's supposed to be given that day, forgets to assign homework. And then there's that one kid, you guys know, some of you are this one kid, Right? <laughs> Raises their hand like, weren't we supposed to have a test today, right? Um, but you forgot to assign us the homework, right? That kid is the enemy of the entire class, okay? Everybody knows that. Um, and I just, because it's like there's some good, great thing that's, that's about to happen, and there's one person that's like, well, hang on, hang on now. Let's not do that good, great thing, okay? And I think that's kind of what he's pointing to here, although that's a really silly, terrible example. But there's that side of it like, there's something beautiful and good that God is doing in the world, right? I mean, God has like heard the cries of his people. He sent his son, Jesus to walk with us in humility and love. Every step of the way through all of the hard things, he sent himself to, to literally die, to lay down his life so that we could find life in him. And then as these early Christians who Jesus says, I mean, if you follow me, people are going to know that you follow me because of the way that you love each other, right? They're going around in the book of Acts and they're healing people, right? They're casting out demons. All these beautiful things are happening in the midst of the world, right? And then here comes that buzzkill kid that raises his hand and says, where's the test? And they come in and they're just like, um, hey, no, 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 look, we don't, we don't want any of your healing here, Jesus. No, 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 we don't want any of that hope here. No, we want to stick with our religious rules. We want to stick with the things that we can control and the things that we know about and all these things. And, and he's saying, look, these people are just like opposing what God is trying to do in the world. And he says, in doing that, they're, they're, they're hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. They might be saved. We're trying to spread this hope and light in Jesus. They're hindering it. And he says, in doing that, they always are filling up the measure of their sins. This is a little bit complex, but I think Jesus is quoting from Matthew 23 here. And this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees, the, the ones that would ultimately um, be a key, play a key role in crucifying Jesus. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? I mean, hard words, but always Jesus says these hardest words to the religious people. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some of whom you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you all, 
Um, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And those are hard words that Jesus speaks. Um, and Paul, I think, is referencing that here. So when he says it here um, in verse, four, or verse 16, right? So it's always to fill up the measure of their sins. I think he's saying that there's this long tradition that, that like God's people, those who, those who are like called by God's name, who like gather to worship him, who like are the keepers of the law, who try to live righteous life. He says there's this long tradition with those types of folks, right, of actually condemning what the past generations did. And, oh, we're not like those, but actually they're living in this same pattern of resisting the things that God's wanting to do. This, this like, I think, intention on controlling things instead of just, like, pointing people back to God and who he is. And he's just saying, like, look, these people that are opposing what we're doing, it, it's, it's filling up the measure of their sins in the same way. It just keeps adding on to all of this rejection and all of this opposition. And so they're filling these things up. They're digging a deeper and deeper hole. And then he says at the end, but wrath has come upon them at last. And, and look, wrath is a hard, unpopular concept today, okay? But I'll tell you this. I don't think we want, I don't think any of us really wants a world in which there is no justice, right? Where there is no punishment of sin, where there is no wrath of God. I don't think we actually want that. Think of all the hor horrible, horrendous things that happen in this world. There are some terrible, terrible things, and we do have a sense where we want to see justice. And look, it's in God's hands. He's the one that does it. But I want to bring us back to this. Look at how, as Jesus said, he was talking about, man, these are the people that are opposing the things that I've been doing. Like, like how are you going to escape hell? He's saying all these hard things, but look at how he ended it. I'm going back to the end of Matthew 23 here. You're the city that kills the prophets, it stones those who were sent to it, but how often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her children, but you were unwilling. I feel like what he's saying here, man, the city is desolate, right? Your house is left to you desolate. I think what he's saying is like, there's this, you're experiencing the consequences of your sin, right? Like this, this like rejection of God is sort of its own punishment because these things build and he's saying, all I've been trying to do is just call you in. Like all I've ever wanted for you is just to be part of what I'm doing, part of my family to join me in this and instead you're resisting. So it's a little bit of a depressing place to end with the sermon. And so I want to tie it back to the beginning so we see the whole thing. He's saying to them, he's thanking God constantly and just saying this, I cannot stop falling on my knees and thanking God for you, because when I spoke, and you heard it, and you heard in it not my words, you didn't hear the words of a human being, but you heard in the things that we said, you heard the words of God. And that sustains you through all the suffering and through all the opposition. And so what, what makes the, the, this little beautiful Thessalonian church different than the world around it that was opposing what God was doing? Simply this, when God spoke, they were willing to listen. Okay, And God's word says a whole bunch of really hard things to us. God's word is not typically patting us on the back. You're doing great. You're awesome. You're better than everybody else. Like It doesn't say those things to us. It calls us to humility, and it calls us to dependence, and it calls us to weakness, right? And it calls us to let go of our lives so that we can find them again. And so as we just listen to the voice of God, I think the call that we have is, is to um, stop resisting, stop opposing what God is doing, and to just continue to live in that space where we're just open-handed and embracing the things that God says, says to us. I think that's the, the, the two things that get juxtaposed here. And so as we like continue to sing, we're going to do that. I'm going to invite the band back up and everything. As we continue to sing, I just want us to process that of just sort of what's the posture of your heart to the things that God is saying. Um, 
Is there a resistance that you find to what God says? Doesn't mean that you understand it all, right? Doesn't mean that you agree with it all. Doesn't mean that like everything's all right in your life and you're going to live perfectly. No, not at all, right? But stop resisting the things that God is doing around you and in you and come to a place of more like open-handed submission of like, okay, God, if this is what you're doing, let me receive it, right? So let's stop that and let's start sort of embracing the word. And I, and I recognize there's some of you here that you don't want to do the resisting thing, but maybe embracing the word of God feels a little bit too um, holistic or confident than how you actually feel. And if that's you, if you're like, man, I, embracing, I don't know, then I would say simply this, just try opening your hands to it. And, and I'd invite you to do that. As we sing, like as we process, I would invite you just like at some point during the singing, just try opening your hands before the Lord, okay? It doesn't have to be a big showy thing, but just opening your hands and just saying, okay, Lord, I, I don't know all the answers. I don't know every, where, all of where this leads. I don't know how good or bad I'll do it, continuing to listen to your voice. But right now in this moment, I'm open to just hearing your word. Hearing it not as the word of men, but hearing it as what it really is, which is the word of God, which is at work in those of us that believe. Let me pray for us as we um, prepare to sing. Lord, you are so good to us. You are so kind. You are so gracious. You are so persistent. And Lord, I thank you that we are invited into a way of life that doesn't walk away from the good and the beautiful and the true things that you call us to. Lord, thank you that you just stand there constantly, generation after generation, day after day, just calling us back, inviting us to yourself. Lord, I pray that we would not live in all the muck of our sins that we continually pull ourselves towards. Uh, I pray that you'd pull us away from the dead ends that we create for ourselves. I pray that you'd pull us away from the hard-heartedness that we tend to generate as we dig further and further into our own way or, or the answers that we find around us. Lord, please, as we continue to sing and worship and as we go through our week this week, Lord, would you please soften our hearts to, to your voice and your voice only. Lord, may everything that any of us ever say that is not from you, would it just fade away, slip away, bounce off? But Lord, the words that you speak, would it come? Lord, would you, as you promised, would these words come and do what you've promised that they'll do? Do what you intend them to do. Lord, we are your people, Lord, and your voice is so good. It is so good. Lord, sitting with you in the suffering that we experience in life is so deeply good, even though it still often hurts. And I just pray for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, we, we come to you and we're across the board on the aches and the pains that we're feeling right now, the joys or the lack of joys that we're experiencing. But Lord, we stand here together as your family. You've made us one. Would you be honored in how we um, listen and open our hearts to you as we sing? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.